et Roland Garros en 2005, 2006, 2007, 2008, 2010, 2011, 2012, 2013 et 2014. Nos nuples vainqueurs ici, il est espagnol Rafael Nadal. Welcome back to the Love Means Nothing podcast. Here I am joined with my co-host Vid Yadav, who I'm going to give a shout out to Vid because he just has finally graduated. Uh, he was a pandemic, uh, pandemic baby, or as they say, pandemic graduate. So he never got his graduate degree. So I just want to start out by saying congrats, Vid, on the graduation this weekend from Bates, official graduation. You walked, you walked up on stage, you got your diploma, and you can now close that chapter of your life. Thanks, man. Appreciate it. Felt, um, so felt like it was unnecessary, but yeah. Were you able to catch the tennis? I was able to catch a little bit of it. More so, I was. I mean, it was it was a long weekend. To, right. Not, right. Not in terms of watching tennis. Just in terms of you know seeing all the friends again. But I didn't catch as much as I wanted to. But went back and watched kind of the extended highlights and stuff. So. Um, yeah, I looked like I really missed something with the Nadal Zverev match, but with the fucking final, it looked like like I was yeah. I was gonna say you didn't. I didn't even care that I wasn't watching. You didn't miss much when it came to both men's and women's finals. I would say I would consider them both to be, I don't know, formalities, not events, whatever adjective you want to use. Usually, I feel like when it goes into a Grand Slam weekend final, I'm just in my head, even on a Friday night, like just very excited and looking forward to seeing two players who have legitimately a chance to win the next two days. And this was just not the case. Obviously, anything can happen in the Grand Slam final. Um, but yeah, both of these finals were non-events. I guess we'll start out with Rafael Nadal. If you would have told me in the beginning of this year that we'd be sitting here and Nadal would be just had his 14th, 14th Roland Garros title and had also won the Australian Open, first time to ever do the Australian Open French Open double. I mean, I, I would have looked at you like you're crazy. I mean, if you think about the end of last year, just from a macro perspective, with Medvedev beating Djokovic and with people like Zverev and Tsitsipas on the rise, this has probably been, in my opinion, and I know we can get kind of caught up in the moment, but the most impressive start to the season, most impressive stretch through Roland Garros, considering all the factors that I've ever seen from basically anyone in the big three. Yeah, I, I don't know if I could say that. I'm sh I'm not, I can't remember everything, but it's certainly up there for kind of the most impressive start, uh, the most impressive streak, and given he was on he was on one foot basically um the yeah. foot wasn't healed after hearing him talk in the press conference um he gave some more detail on that so it was kind of astounding what he was dealing with throughout the entire tournament and he didn't really comment it on it till the end so that was yeah astounding that he had to go through the entire tournament dealing with that injury and to be honest before the final i was so nervous i was like for, for, for Rafa? Like, I was like, I don't want Rafa injured or, like, yeah. anything to happen to him. Or, like, I don't know, Casper Rude gets yeah. lucky and, like, wins the first set. And then somehow, I don't know how. I really thought that Casper had a chance to win his set. Because, I, I, like, honestly, I looked at the line for this. And for those who are not familiar with gambling, the line was minus 475, which basically means that According to the odds makers, Casper Ruud would win this match one out of every five times, which I think is just, frankly, just not true at all. I like, think he'd win it one out of every 20 times. I don't know if he would win this, this, this match in this circumstance. Maybe you take, you take the foot. You take the foot as the variable there. Maybe that's one in 20 if you wanted just for the foot. But straight, skill-wise, this was just – Honestly, not enjoyable tennis to watch for me. 6-3, 6-3, 6-love. went up uh, – he went up – actually went up a break in the second set, and I was like, okay, maybe something's going to happen. And even Casper said it after the match. He said, anyone who plays defensive against Rafa is going to get eaten alive. And so I'm thinking, like, why are you trying to play defensive then if you know that and you, you're losing 6-0? He didn't really try to do anything differently. Um, 
And the entire match, like I said, I was like not even really paying attention to the score. I was just in my head appreciating that I'm getting to watch Nadal win another French Open championship and just every single shot of Nadal I was kind of cherishing because I'm like, I don't even know if we're going to see him again. Right. No, I was talking to my roommate who's watched. The, I mean, he didn't. He said he didn't watch the whole thing because he said it was so such a waste of time. But he watched the first set and then said he came back just to watch the match point to see Nadal. The reaction. Yeah, the reaction. Winning another French Open. So I think even if I had the ability to watch, I don't even know how much I would have been really engaged in the match. Like I said, I was just nervous that Casper was somehow going to squeak this out. Seeing what happened in Zverev with the injury, I was like, I hope Nadal's foot doesn't act up during the match because it just – if Kasparud Ruud won this match, it would have just been total, like, joke. I mean, it would have been crazy. I disagree because I feel like if he would have won the match, it would have been probably the most – one of the most epic, improbable – he's just a worse version of Dominic Team. Like, where Team like, was in the finals twice against Rafa. He, the first time, lost in straight sets, but it was close. The second time, he got a set, but he was actually kind of close, like, had some chances. I just see it as, like, the same, like, the team finals where, like, guy who's really good on clay makes the French finals to, and then is, like, just destroyed. I mean, yeah, but it, he's in good company because Federer and Djokovic, the other two guys to lose a set 6-0 in the finals of French Open to, to Rafa. So I guess he's in good company there. But when we talk about the match, yeah, there was, there was really – there's not even, in my opinion, any point going deeper into it. I mean, there was one stat that I saw that – under five shot rallies, Casper Ruud, I think, was only minus two or minus three. And then over five shot rallies, Nadal was like plus 25. So I guess that kind of goes with being more aggressive. But, yeah, I don't think there's too much to delve into in terms of the actual yeah, like, I, don't, I don't know how you could slice or dice this thing to make Casper Ruud look like he was in the match at all. So. <laughs> he was up a break in the second set. And I was like, okay, Casper Ruud. And the commentators on NBC, who obviously – they're catering to an audience that's not necessarily, I guess, tennis specific, which is another somewhat of a travesty of this is that the two matches that are finally, you know, it's not tennis channel, it's featured on network TV in America where kind of everyday people are tuning in and able to see tennis and they see basically two blowouts with the commentators like Casper Ruud gaining a foothold in the second set, like you got a break. And I, like, I don't think anything's going to happen. And he got broken to love, like, the next game. I mean, let's just say this final, with how regards to what it meant for tennis, bad bad look, for very bad look for tennis, having this kind of final, this kind of de- destruction of Casper Ruud in the final. And Casper Ruud was just very happy to be there. And in my opinion, almost, he was just too happy to be there. He was kind of a little bit reminded me of the Berrettini-Djokovic final. Yes, I was going to say that. Um Wimbledon last year because Berrettini was he came out a lot. he did win the first set yeah he came out you know a little firepower but once he started losing he was kind of fading away and like you know it looked like he was just like really cherishing the moment not really giving a shit about if he was going to win the match or not and didn't even seem like after the match Berrettini or Kasparud here at the French Open they didn't really seem to care that they lost they were no. seeming to be very happy with what they had achieved um, which is yeah, awesome. You got to the finals of a Grand Slam, but I think I don't think we would have ever seen that from Nadal, Djokovic, or Federer early in their careers. I think in every final they play, they're in it to win it, and they're not in it to kind of play. Or even, honestly, Medvedev and Tsitsipas either as well. They, they, they wouldn't be like that either, I feel like. Oh, Medvedev would not be like that at all. No. He's fucking a dog and just goes out there and tries to win every match, and he's not going to be happy after he loses. And the thing about Medvedev, these guys – if they're losing, they might be getting destroyed, but they'll try something different. Like, I remember Medvedev in the first, I think his first Grand Slam final in the U.S. Open against Rafa, he went down two sets to love, but he never, his, his demeanor never changed in the fact that he was coming out in the third set with the same, just like, I'm going to fight as hard as I possibly can to do anything to make this a match, right? And he... Ended up making that a five-set match in the U.S. Open final. Not, I don't think Casper could have done that, but the 6-0 set, it looked like he was resigned to it. And I think, you, like, contrast this also with Coco Goff, where you saw she had a very bad performance, if we're just being honest, didn't play well at all. But at the same time, you saw her at the end of the match, she was in tears. You know, you could see how much that loss meant to her. Whereas 
Casper acted like he won the tournament. He was saying, I can't wait like one day when I can tell my grandkids I played against Rafael Nadal on center court and stuff. And then he was like thanking his team and he didn't even say sorry. I, I wasn't able to get the job done today or anything like that. He was, his speech, if you said that he'd won the tournament, you probably could not uh, distinguish it from, from the fact that he just got his ass handed to him six in, in three straight sets, right? Yeah, it's kind of similar to when he won this. Was it the semifinal against Chilich, or it was the quarterfinal one match? I can't remember which one it was, but his team was crying at the end of the match. I, I looked like he had just won a grand slam. Yeah. So, so is this? Do you think this is the farthest that he can go in a grand slam? Is the final? of Roland Garros is what he's going to look back on and be his career highlight, or will he be able to look back on his career whenever it's set and done and say, I'm a Grand Slam champion? You know, I feel like we've talked about Casper, me and you, just personally, and we've said, I don't still think he believes he belongs in the top five. Like, so I still, I don't think that he does, I don't think he puts himself in the same class as like Stefanos, Medvedev, Zverev, those guys. And I don't put him in that class either, frankly, but uh, I'd say that his peak is potentially winning a Roland Garros uh, if he can get close, but this was, he had a dream draw this tournament. I mean, a dream draw didn't really have to beat anyone on his way. I think he's only gotten one top five win his entire career over Zverev um, in Miami this year. And frankly, if you talk about peak level, you talk, I mean, you took the other guys, we kind of have this in the notes here, other guys that are around his level, I would say, similar category to him is like Rublev, Sinner, Felix, and Berrettini, right? Would you say those are the kind of group you'd group him in with that, that group? I would group him in with that batch. I would put him kind of at the lower tier of, of this batch because I really think that – I mean, yeah, exactly. I really think that Felix and Berrettini can win majors. Sinner, I think, has the potential to be able to, but right now is not in that question of being a major champion. And Rublev – it's possible that he could, but I just don't think his game style can sustain over two weeks in three out of five sets. And that's why I put him at the bottom and then Casper maybe a little bit below him or around that same level. I mean, the backhand is such a glaring weakness, right? Yeah, I don't understand why every... I mean, the game plan against Casper is fairly straightforward. It's like any... It's almost like a junior tennis game plan. Like... You're going into a junior match when you're freaking 12, 13, 14, yeah. 10, maybe not quite 14, but everyone's backhand, or not everyone's, let's say 90. Mine was amazing, actually. My backhand, my backhand was incredible. So okay. I think we okay. have one exception to that. Yes, that's awesome. Um, I, my, my <laughs> people, would hit, people would actually try to attack my backhand because they thought it was worse, and I just basically worked them around the court. So, yeah. Uh, yeah, no, my backhand was not quite quite the best, as were not most juniors were not. But the you know the game plan when you're a junior, hit everything to the person's backhand, open it up to the forehand, go to the backhand. There's no there's no yeah. you know there's no big strategy involved when you're that young. Um, but I think that's the game plan that these pros are just going in with when they play Casper, as it should be, because backhand's a real liability. And on occasion it'll hold up, and on other occasions it'll really break down and kind of be a disaster for him so not even uh, not even break down but then it's it's fine when he can when he's able to hit like down the line backhands and angle backhands to change the pattern of play it can be okay but against Rafa he was just when he starts hitting these like I don't even know they look like moon balls like junior moon ball where he like he he brings his racket back he like throws the ball up like it's a lob and then Rafa or whoever he's playing just comes up and just like eats it like a freaking I don't even know yeah but also if you just think about Rafa's game style and how heavy that ball is and fast coming through and up the court coming to Casper's back end that's the kind of ball that gives Casper negative chance of hitting a solid back end in the court when there's these guys who like Sinner like a guy like Sinner a guy like Emil Rusevori those guys are going to be giving you balls that are right in your wheelhouse so Casper will be able to find a rhythm yes I can will be working in those kind of matches but when you're playing the doll you're not going to have that rhythm you're going to have to be dealing with a tremendously hard ball the hardest ball to deal with in history and if you have a weakness like that it's gonna it's gonna show so I think it really depends on who he's playing and and that'll determine how much of a weakness yes that the only thing I will say kind of to that point about the finals Roland Garros finals on Casper's side was this is probably the and they've never played before Rafa and Casper had never played before but this is probably the worst possible matchup of literally anyone 
for Casper. You know what I mean? Like we can rag on him and we have kind of for his performance, but at the same time, this matchup was just, he couldn't break that. He's there's, he would never break this kind of code. Right. Yeah. I don't think he would, I don't think he has the chance to crack this code. You're right. I think if he's going to do it again, he's going to have to have kind of a draw that opens up again. But I think it's a possibility, but not a probability that he wins a major. I would say for me, I would put Felix number one, that group, Berrettini, Sinner, and then Rublev and Rude kind of at the same at the same level. And it's, I think it's crazy that Rude's going to be ranked higher than Novak after this term. I mean, that's, that's absurd. Wait, sorry, say that again. What's, what's happening? Rude is going to be ranked ahead of Novak Djokovic at this turn. Well, I mean, we're not, we're, it's not part of this segment. We don't have it in the notes for this episode. But how fucking ridiculous is it that <laughs> Novak Djokovic is, can't, doesn't have access to 6,000 points this year currently because he was, didn't, wasn't allowed into Australia, was thrown, or in America. A, thrown in a jail cell there. Wimbledon is taking away the points because of the Russia thing. And he's not currently allowed in the United States, so won't even be able to compete at the USA Open. So, or or the or the Western and Southern Thousand event, or the DC Five Hundred event, if you want to play Toronto, that. Or, no way, no way, no way. They're letting him into Canada. No or way. Toronto. Those guys are not. No, those no guys, chance. No back. No chance in Canada. That's just not happening. Yeah. So. so well, it is crazy, but I think it also puts more pressure on Novak because he's like, oh shit, like I have to make the most of what I'm playing, which. Maybe contributes to his nervousness a little bit. I don't know. Guess what he is in the race to the finals. I'm going to guess 19 or 20. No, he's, he's nine. So he, he's just... It's pretty good, honestly. It's, not... <laughs> it's amazing. I, didn't, I was shocked that he was that high. But yeah. Um, yeah, I guess he's doing enough to be kind of in contention. But it's crazy to think that we might not see him in the end of your finals just because they're not letting him play tournaments. That's just crazy. Yeah, so, I mean, it's also going to – he also needs to get a rhythm. It's like if there's a period of the year where you can't play and then you can all of a sudden can play, it's like you can't keep going in and out of these uh, of these tournaments. But I want to talk about Rafa a little bit here still, but I don't think we touched on him enough, honestly. Um, that is now 22 Grand Slams, 14th Roland Garros title. He's won 25% of all the Roland Garros titles since the open era started. So um, <laughs> do it that way, you will. But you saw, he, he, this is what he said after the match about specifically the Grand Slams. He said, if Novak wins 23 majors and I stay with 22, I won't be bothered. My happiness will not change at all, not even 1%. So here we already have these kind of games going on with the uh, major championship. And I think I think I agree with what he's saying because with Rafa, you're looking at a guy who thinks he's he may have been losing his ability to even compete at the sport. And we always talk about this mantra of you need to be competing against yourself, not competing against other people. Um, but I think that's exactly what he's doing. Because he's right now feeling like, and I think as fans, we feel it too, he's literally getting the most out of himself that he can. And he's at peace with that. Yeah, no, I think, yeah, I think he is at peace with that but where I kind of don't agree with you is I think I think when he's talking about these him being at peace and not one percent you know happier if Novak gets more I think that's kind of taking a shot at Novak and kind of poking Novak you know Djokovic is somewhere in the world just screaming in a mirror when he's hearing these comments because it's just kind of another attempt to box him out of the question of who is the greatest and right now it's obviously you know a big question it's not definitive as to who is, um, but Djokovic wants to be known as the greatest of all time, and this back-to-back by Nadal is something that'll push him, you know, farther away from being that greatest of all time. So I had a take on this, actually, that if you're defining it, let's just say we're defining it by Grand Slam titles, and there's nothing else you're really defining it by. If Rafa were to, right now, retire... I'm done with tennis. I just won Roland Garros. My foot is messed up, right? We know also for a fact that he did, I kind of predict this on the pod a few weeks ago, but he had to take a basically numbing cortisone shot 
to be able to play because he just the pain pain was unbearable after his second round match against Hugo Gaston. Um, and we all know that with those core zone shots, there's a limited amount you can take before there's permanent damage that's done. So in terms of the GOAT debate, if Rafa just said, I'm done with the sport, I'm dropping my racket after basically winning the first two Grand Slams of the year and having the best start to a season I've ever had, there's almost nothing that Novak could do to counter the argument that people said Rafa retired at his peak, right? He retired at his peak. He could have run so many more majors. Yeah, but let's not forget, people have a short memory, right? Like, if Novak comes back next year and somehow is allowed to go into Australia, um, allowed to play all the majors and is in form and dominates three of the majors next year, and let's say Nadal retires, like you said, after this, then the entire narrative is going to shift and go back to Novak is undoubtedly the greatest tennis player of all time. So I think, I think you are forgetting that people have a short memory I mean, it's probably not even. Yes. You know, people are. Forget like, about Novak last year. Last year, that was that was in September where he was going for the calendar slam, and now <laughs> some people are like, oh, his tennis career is done. Like, no, it's not. It's not done. Next these guys, year, dude. These guys are literally reaching their peaks right now. Like Novak won three of the four Grand Slams this year. Nadal last year. Nadal's won two, both of the Grand Slams this year, and then Djokovic is going to be the heavy favorite moving into Wimbledon. It's honestly just. I feel like they're kind of getting annoyed at this point, even. Rafa and Novak, they're like, these young guys are just, they're not, they're not it. They don't have it. They don't have it. And you, you, <laughs> I think you saw it in Nadal's press conference. He was obviously being complimentary, complimentary of Casper Rude. Right. But at the same time, he was also like, it was like in his voice that it wasn't genuine when he was saying Casper is like yeah. player and is, you know, whatever. Yeah. And you know how, you know how like after, um, after, like, the matches sometimes, like, I know it was Verev and with Medvedev, Djokovic and Nadal both did it, like, oh, you're going to win multiple Grand Slams. I think Rafa went out of his way not to say that about Casper in the post-match interview, that Casper, you're going to go on to win multiple Grand Slams. I mean, yeah, even, even Nadal is such a nice guy, but he can't just stand up there and just <laughs> bullshit that much, you know what I mean? It's probably true for Zverev and, and Sissipas and those other guys. Maybe. I interrupted you. What were you saying earlier? No, I don't remember what I was saying, but but yeah, I rude. Yeah, you just can't get up there and bullshit like that. This isn't this isn't consulting. This isn't this isn't the workforce. You can get up and bullshit like we do every day. But um, yeah. but yeah, I guess the only thing I I would say to close this whole thing out is that if you look at just one player, Daniil Medvedev, who, as we know, we've seen. I mean, just. A gritty tennis player. He can do everything on the court. He's so smart. He's mentally strong. He's able to be clutch. Big serve. He has, he's 26 years old, and he has one Grand Slam title. He's been in the finals of Australia twice and the U.S. Open twice. He has one Grand Slam title. Nadal has 22. So that's, that's like basically the only thing I'm going to say about how tough it is to win one Grand Slam. I mean, look at, look at Zverev, right? Probably towards the end of the last year, one of the best players on tour. Number one level player. He's struggling to win one major because everything has to go your way. And you have to be so much better than everyone. Yeah, it's definitely very, very hard to do. And I also think, last point on this, is that the only guy that's, like you said, the only person that's won a major is Medvedev. And I think that really frees you up. Like, your mind yes. is really cleared when you get that first major and I wish I could sit here and say it's going to be him and Dominic team but I don't know where Dominic team is if he's playing a challenger right now or losing in a futures event um but yeah right now it's just Medvedev who's at the top and is the one dude who's got that monkey off his back while Zverev unfortunate with the injury really sad to see but he's gonna even when he comes back and is healed he's still gonna have that hanging over his head that he doesn't have that first major the other thing, I'm going to say one last thing about the new generation, um, that Rafa, this is Rafa, Novak, and Federer never did this, right? They all had their best surfaces. Rafa, Clay, Novak, Hard, uh, Federer, Grass. But these players complaining about surfaces is just too much for me. Like Medvedev saying how much he hates Clay, saying like, oh, are you a rat? Do you want to be on Clay? And then Casper was asked about the grass court season, the upcoming grass court season. 
And he said, grass is meant to play golf, not play tennis. So I'm going to just go and play some golf and prepare for the grass court. I don't like that kind of attitude or just the disrespecting of different services by the upcoming generation that feel like they can say kind of whatever they want. I don't love that either. Yeah, it's just, it's just gotten to the point where it's like – Over the top. Way too much. I, I don't know if Casper was doing that because he – Trying to be funny. Trying to be funny or like trying to be like curios or I, I don't know what the goal of that was. But honestly, I didn't think it was that funny. And I didn't, yeah. th- thought it was a little bit disrespectful that you would say you're going to go play golf to prepare for Wimbledon. Um, I mean, do whatever the hell you want, but – but it's just it's just not not really classy, and it's not it's not Casper carries himself usually. You know, he's really loves being a nice guy, so you wouldn't think expect him to say something. I also wouldn't expect him to be cracking jokes after losing a Grand Slam final, but that's yeah. yeah. So that's I guess our take on kind of what's happened at the French Open this year, and is a great tournament. Obviously, kind of one week side of the draw, but we got to see a lot of exciting matches in kind of the semis and quarters, and it'll be. Fun to see what happens next year at the French, if we'll see Rafa there or not. But I think that kind of wraps up our thoughts. And now we're going to move into everyone's favorite segment, uh, the trivia. But it's going to be a little different today. Drew has one trivia question for me. And then after that, we're going to go to um, – it's, it's like a little fun question that we have, and we're going to just answer it, uh, give our thoughts. And if you guys have your thoughts – you know, DM us on Instagram, tweet at us, um, tell us why you think our picks were good for it or not good for it, and uh, you guys can also chime in on the discussion. But, Drew, do we want to start off with the trivia question that you have? Sure, Vid, and uh, as usual, this is always, it's kind of current, it's related to what's happening in tennis right now. Um, easy trivia question, and there's some possibilities for some bonus points here. Um, so, Rafael Nadal, he's won the most matches at a single Grand Slam. Uh, in tennis history, that's 112 matches he's won. It's at the French Open, of course. Um, and he's won the most Grand Slams, 14, uh, at Roland Garros. So he's number one. Who is number two in terms of Grand Slam matches won at a single Grand Slam? And who's number three in terms of Grand Slam matches won at a single Grand Slam? The person and the Grand Slam. And then for the bonus point, if you can somehow get it exactly how, mu- how many times they've won. So Rafa's at 112. Uh, and the, yeah, number two and number three. Number two has to be Federer at Wimbledon. And okay. Number three. This is a tough one. Um, number three. I, I don't know. It's going to be a really old guy, right? <laughs> I don't even know those guys. Do you want me to just give you the answer if you don't want to guess? Yeah, sure. What is it? I don't know. Okay, so um, I would have guessed, by the way, I saw this question. I would have guessed Novak at the Australian Open. Yeah, I knew it wasn't him. It's not not him. It's actually Federer at the Australian Open. No way. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yep. (laughs) Do you want to guess how many wins Federer has at those tournaments? Well, how, how many does Nadal have at the French Open? 112. 112 is he probably has 106 at Wimbledon and 100 and 103. So at, close. 105 at Wimbledon, 102 at the Australian. Oh, wow. So, Roger Federer, let's not forget. Let's not forget. Let's put some respect on this guy's name. Yeah, we seem to seem to forget <laughs> to talk to, about but him. You know, it's because he's, he's, inj- he's injured or he's coming back or. I don't know. I, so do you think he's going to just come back, play a couple tournaments, and be done? Or do you think he's going to come back and play a season? I don't know. I, I, I miss Federer so much. He's such a dick. I love it. I, I wouldn't say he's a dick. I think he's confident, quietly, very – pretends to be quietly confident, but very clearly loudly confident. Yeah. <laughs> but at least he's trying not to. He just comes out. Yeah, it's amazing. It's, it's amazing because everyone, everyone, everyone thinks he's so humble, but he's, like, kind of not. That's why – right. but he's also very cool, and it's just a really interesting personality he has. See, and then the thing is, this whole GOAT discussion is so interesting to me because for me, in terms of just talent – and that word is so hard to – how do you define that? But talent – Federer is the most talented person to ever touch a racket for me. It doesn't mean he's the GOAT, but – who, who's the second most talented? 
I would go Nick Kyrgios. <laughs> Ever? I would maybe put McEnroe in there, honestly. Okay, yeah, yeah. I'm, I guess I'm talking about, like, you know. Current? Guys that we grew up you with. Think, so you'd say Kyrgios is more talented than Rafa? Yeah, I'm going to say yes. Yeah, <sighs> uh, yeah I, don't, I don't think so. I'd say I mean, Rafa. Rafa's just all, like, it's a lot of work, you know? A lot, I feel like talent, when you're talking about talent, you're also kind of talking about how easy they make it look and I guess yeah how easy they make it look Rafa does not make it look easy have you ever watched Rafa play in person it's so smooth it's crazy like I honestly would agree with you if I was only watching it but I watched him front row at the U.S. opening as Chilich a few years ago and I couldn't believe how freaking smooth the guy looked it was crazy I, I agree on TV it doesn't look super smooth necessarily but his and his ability to put spin on his forehead like I couldn't I was I couldn't believe what I was watching I know we we watched Kyrgios against Rublev right when he destroyed yeah. Rublev yes I would say very similar to, to be honest similar yeah yeah I don't think I've ever watched Nadal I can't remember the last I, I watched him in DC last year oh we, yeah we were together we watched him in DC lose to Lloyd Harris and he did not look good there but that was that also was, he was injured and it, i mean it doesn't matter right but I'm that just, was his first tournament back from a long way off yeah and but then yeah curios at miami was just blowing my mind what he was doing he was making rublev look so bad oh i would say alcaraz is more talented than than curious probably or they're similar similar no no what are you talking about dude Alcaraz, have you talent. seen his drop shots? I don't know how we're defining talent. Talent, hands, like uh, what you have in your hands. Yeah, I, think, I don't know. I think Curios. Okay, yep, that's fine. I, I would say Curios Alcaraz very similar, but yeah, Curios Alcaraz, like same same thing with Alcaraz. I think I think mm-hmm. he, he's more like an adult I, I, in terms of the talent. Like I'm not saying he's not talented. That's just like. I'm just saying. Of course, I think, that's not, no, I agree. It's not what you're saying. I but. think Kyrgios is more talented just because he, he he's smoother out there, makes it look very easy. When Carlos does things and Nadal does things, you're like, oh my god, that's impossible. And when Kyrgios does it, you're like, that looks so easy. And obviously, no, it's not. Right. But, but that you you're like he is just like out there, not even sweating. But yeah. I guess yeah, it's an interesting. He doesn't even move his feet sometimes, and he just destroys people. Exactly. Exactly. Do you want to go to the question that we have, or I actually yes. have, I for, I forgot that I had a trivia question. <laughs> okay, fine. Let's just do it. Just do, do it. Trivia? Okay, so we'll do the trivia, and then we'll go to the oh. fun fun question. Yeah. Um. Okay. During the here's here's my question. During the 2022 Roland Garros title, Nadal became the third man to beat four top 10 players in route to winning the Grand Slam. Oh, wow. That's amazing. Two other players, and what year or what Grand Slam did they do it at? Or you can just – I mean, that's tough. You can also just – The only hint I've asked for, is this within the last 21 years? So is it um, – One is within the last 21 years. The other is not within the last 21 years. Oh God, it's so hard. But, but like you, 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 you'll know the guy, but you're probably not. I'm gonna say Michael Chang was one of them at Bulgaros. It's a great guess, but that's not right. <laughs> okay, <laughs> and you said there's so there's two or three. There's the two others. Nadal's the third. One is like recently, <laughs> and one is pretty far back, very far back. Um. Okay. Um. I just I can't keep track of this. I say Murray at Wimbledon, maybe, or Murray at the. Another good guess, but just not correct. Okay, okay. I'm, gonna, <laughs> I'm, just gonna, I'm gonna give it to you. Okay, 2017 Australian Open Federer. Wow, that's impressive, man. And the 1982 French Open, Mats Willander. Okay. Yep. I should have. Wait, so Vid, so you're telling me that this is the basically Nadal at the end of his career just went through the hardest, the third hardest path to win a Grand Slam and just did it, basically. Yeah. <laughs> just, I don't know, man. I just, I don't know. Yeah. Just, that's crazy. <laughs> that's a, yeah. That's, I mean, there's, I mean, it's an impossible question to answer, but. Impossible but, question, but that's good, okay. Good stat. Good, good thing to know. Um, so should we move on to our next question? Sure. Yeah. Do you want to introduce it? And. I think we should do more stuff like this going down the line because we always get the trivia wrong, but I guess it's fun to know 
the trivia stuff. It's like, I'm sure it's interesting for people like the trivia, but I, I like what we're doing next as well. It's okay. So, bef- okay. Yes. I'm going to introduce it. And then we're going to kind of discuss about what exactly it means. Cause I have some different answers. So it's who would you like to be stuck on a desert island, not desert island, but like a remote island stuck. Uh, what tennis player, ATP and WTA, if you had to choose, would you be stuck on an island with? And I'm going to ask Vid this question, and he, we can kind of decide whatever, but would you say it's more about the, sur- are we define this as a survival thing? Like you want them there so you can help you survive while you're stuck, stranded? Or is it, this is someone who I would like to spend my time with because they're the only person I'm going to be around and like we might figure it out if we like each other better. Like which one do you think we're going for here? I- I'm going to say we're doing the, not the des- desert island, deserted island where you need to get off and you need to like survive. I'm gonna say you're oh, on okay. an island and you're, like want to just like chill with this person and hang out and then like. Okay, I didn't think of it that way, but okay, yeah. Maybe you'll get off because yeah. So let's go. Let's go with that. Okay, you go first then because I have to maybe think about my answers for doing that. But okay, I'll go first. Yeah. So, so for, we're doing WTA and ATP, right? Yeah, we'll do the ATP first. ATP first. Okay. Uh, for the ATP, I'm going to go Thanasi Kakanakis because, I mean, I mean, he's just a cool guy, definitely likes to have fun, but also definitely likes to work hard, play some tennis and train. So I, you know, I'm down for, I'm down for probably playing tennis on the island if we can find the court and working out. <laughs> so this is like a resort island, like, <laughs> hang out. I mean, there's tennis courts there. It's a five-star hotel. It's a Four Seasons or something. Yeah, but it's just me and Thanasi. And, <laughs> and then he's obviously going to want to have fun, too. So um, he's also just a, seems like a very laid-back guy. There's never any – never has any issues. Um, he's Australian. So I was actually debating. I was either going to go him or – Jordan Thompson. So, so you're only Australian. So Kiggs doesn't even make your top three Australians. I just think he might get mad at me for like no reason. <laughs> and then it'll go over. We could go from having like an amazing time together to just like. <laughs> he like, pops off. Yeah, I'm just like scared of him or something. <laughs> I would honestly put Johnny Millman ahead of, ahead of Kiggs, maybe. <laughs> yeah, maybe. Johnny Millman's awesome. Yeah, he's great. He's fucking awesome. All those guys are awesome. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, yeah, I, I, he's, my, he's my ATP guy, Takanakis, Thanasi. And then WTA, I think – I don't think it's even a question. Annette? No, 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 not Annette. <laughs> no. It's not even a question. Emma? It has to be, it has to be Mary Buskova. <laughs> Un- without a doubt without she's just a ball of joy and a ball of fun and just is always in a good mood i've never seen her in a bad mood and she's just seems like it'll be a relaxed time out on the island there's you know similar similar with Danasi. it'll never be there'll be never be you know there'll never be friction tension um i think she'd be a good person to hang out with and low stress so I feel like I feel like a lot of the other people that I wanted to pick were like, you know, I wanted to pick them for various reasons, but I'm like, they feel like for the WTA tour, various reasons, various reasons on the WTA tour, but but I feel like it may be a high stress environment, so I want someone chilled out like Mary Buskova. Honestly, I'm actually just trying to figure out who I want to pick right now. I'm scrolling through the ATP rankings, and I'm like, yeah, I don't know if I'd be best friends with any of these people, to be honest. Like, not. Not necessarily. It's, it's kind of a hard one to pick. Um, you like but, my answer, don't you? You like my Thanasi answer, don't you? Yeah, I love the Thanasi answer. I fucking love that answer. I mean, that's exactly the kind of person you'd want to go with. Um, I'm just going to go with Vasek. I'm going to go with Vasek Pospisil. Um, like, <laughs> frankly, I don't know if we're going to get much tennis training in based on his social media activity, but... Not only that, he can teach me about things like cryptocurrency, things about investing, things like being an angel investor. I think he's into poker, um, loves having a good time. He loves island locations in general, so he might know, you know, what you can do on an island. <laughs> he spends his time in the Bahamas. Um, and maybe he'll play some tennis with me. I don't know. I probably will get some confidence because I'll probably beat him in a couple games. Uh, he's injured. <laughs> he's a little inconsistent. So maybe I'll get lucky and get my confidence up from that. A uh, good hit, good guy to hit with as well. Um, 
But I think he's one of those guys, he's a variety of interests. He's, I think, on the player council as well. So not solely focused on tennis, which I like. And uh, I think a cool enough guy, happy guy, like you said about Mary Boo, kind of to, to get along with, right? Yeah, no, I think it's a great choice. He's a very, yeah, seems like an upbeat, fun guy. Um, yeah, Vasek, shout out. Great choice. Shout out, Vasek. Good guy. And Vasek, if you're listening and you want to be on the pod anytime, just, just give us a Instagram DM and we'll be happy to have you on. Um, so, yeah. But, no, good good choice. I didn't, He didn't even come into my mind, but good choice. And uh, WTA, For WTA. Are you going to uh, go with uh, Anna Kalinskaya or what? <laughs> uh, no, Anna Kalinskaya. I don't know if I'd. Uh, I'd probably just be not even able to talk to her because she's so hot. So probably, <laughs> <laughs> wouldn't even be able to get a sentence out. So that'd be kind of an issue for me. Um, but um, yeah, uh, no, I don't know. Um, so who do I want to pick for the women? I'm going to go with. Um, I just. Uh, Sorry. I'll go with Amanda Adamsova, honestly. Amanda Adamsova. Um, again, like, Chell loves playing tennis, uh, has a lot of swag. She's been, um, again, likes going out, likes partying. You saw her in Miami um, with the viral post with Mateo. She was out hanging out with Mateo. Um, seems like a relatively chill person. I uh, see her on Instagram pretty often uh, doing things other than tennis. Yeah, I'm going to go. I'll go with her. That's that's another that's a really good one. Another really good one. Solid enough. I don't think she's too high stress either about her tennis. I don't think it's like someone who I don't think she gets she does get actually actually against Layla Fernandez, she looked kinda pissed. Um but I like her personality. It seems like she'd be a good one, good pick. Yeah, no, it looks like she loves she loves looks like she likes to like go out, have a good time as well. So I think that's kinda what we're looking for. I think we I think this is I like the segment. I enjoyed the segment. So I think Maybe we do something similar on upcoming pods. What do you think? Yeah, I, I think the WTA one I kind of just picked. So I, there's a lot of other ones, I, girls I was thinking, but because I, I had my so I had my one ready about if we were trying to get off the island. Um, and this one I'd probably pick her even to hang out with, but it would be Jesse Pagula because her her family's billionaires. So I was going to pick Jesse Pagula because the family could rescue us from the island. But yeah. Ah, that's yeah, that's an easy <laughs> answer. <laughs> yeah. What if you had no phone? But the point is, is that that Jesse would be missing, and her family would have the resources to pretty much put like millions and millions of dollars into finding us. So. <laughs> <laughs> okay, uh, okay, yeah. I guess that's that's a good way to think about it. Uh, is there also, with the WTA, a lot of them are not great at English, so Amanda speaks English perfectly, which is a, a positive. I think Mary Boo speaks English. Mary Booskova. She yeah. recently graduated from college. Oh yeah! Shout out to Mary Booskova and Coco Goff, who Coco Goff graduated from high school. And, uh, and Mary Boo graduated from college, so that's just awesome to see that these people continue their education. If I was a pro <laughs> tennis player, there's no fucking chance I would be doing that. But yeah, most of them that. clearly don't because I, they were the only two people I saw that graduated. So clearly, most of them are in your mindset. Obviously, yeah, most of them fucking don't. There's no way any of them give a shit about that. Coco Golf got a congratulatory tweet from Michelle Obama for both graduating and then a separate tweet for making the finals of the French. Congrats. Congrats, Coco, on the graduation and the tweets. And the Grand Slam final, of course. And the Grand Slam final. <laughs> I think that, that kind of wraps that up. <laughs> yeah, that wraps it up. Now, should we get into, I guess we've we got to get into talking about Coco and Iga, right? The final there. Yeah, you don't want to talk about this Zverev injury. Yeah, sure. Let's talk about this Zverev injury real quick. What are your thoughts on it, real quick? What are your thoughts on it? Yeah, my thoughts are I feel very bad for Sasha Zverev after he was finally able to break through against Carlos with that just clutch win. Played better than Carlos, and as far as this match was going, you saw that he still had those same demons. He was not playing his best tennis, um, but. At the same time, like, you never want to see someone go out like that. And even in the first set, you could see Zverev with his forehand. He was finding something there. He had a game plan against Nadal. He was going to Nadal's backhand with his forehand. He was coming inside out. He was ripping his backhand as well. Um, and 5-all, 40-all in the first set, Zverev just played a perfect point where he 
hit a loop forehand to Nadal's backhand, just went inside out, 100% conviction, and just ripped a forehand win. And I was like, maybe this is the Alexander Zverev we're waiting to see. And then you get to the tie break where he blows a 6-2 lead, is missing overheads, missing backhands, just everything. And that was, of course, not great. But you always want to see – and I don't think he was going to win that match, to be honest. He just he – got, he got flustered in the big moments. But – it's just so devastating, especially Vid, because we've been following Zverev, and he's been having such a disappointing season this year. But the thing I want to say about him is it doesn't matter. He's always going to try. He, you never see him tanking. It doesn't matter how many double faults he does, how much he's missing, anything like that. And he was just fighting so hard to fight back in that second set and to make it, I think it was maybe six all at that point where he got injured. That was a, just very impressive. And to see him scream out in pain – it was just so, so difficult to see and hear that scream. I don't know. You know how much work these guys put in, and we don't know when he's going to be back. So it was really tough, really, really tough to see that. Yeah, I, I think it was great to see him playing such a high level. You know, I think he could have maybe turned that – if he had grabbed that second set, I think he could have potentially turned yes. the match around. I, I, don't, can't, I don't know if I could say that it was going to be Nadal for sure. I think – obviously a very high chance, but the way he was playing and with that firepower, I think it was possible that he could have gone on and potentially won, but with regards to the injury, yeah, what's that? Yeah, N- Nadal, um, no, I was just going to say Nadal wasn't playing his best either. His forehands were kind of landing short. He was complaining about the balls like being different and that kind of stuff, but yeah. But yeah, yeah, there you go. My point taken. I mean, he could have totally come back and, and won the match, so with regards to injury, yeah, it was just really, really, really tough to see. I didn't see it live, but I was, you know, following the score and saw that something had happened to him. And then when I saw the replay, it gives, you know, I think, yeah, like you said, these guys put in so much work and you really get like kind of a tingle down your spine and your stomach when you see a guy kind of go down like that in such pain and you know it's going to be something pretty bad. So it's really tough to see, but hopefully he can come back. And I think this – Injury um, wasn't necessarily – I wasn't really a Zverev fan at all before this, but I think this injury kind of is going to make me root for him because he's been working so hard, and when he comes back, I'm going to want him to win a major. So I'll probably be pulling for him when he's back on court, which I was not doing kind of before this match. A lot of the times with, when these kind of monumental things happen in your career and your life, they can be the trampoline for pushing you through – a place that you never thought you were able to to go. And I think it's possible that he could use this as a positive. I think he could maybe even get humbled potentially by this and, you know, see how much he misses tennis and how much he loves tennis and come back and who knows, win, win majors, lose the yips, use, lose the nervousness because he'll have gone through something that's even harder than any match that he's ever played to come back from an injury so devastating like this. Yeah, so hopefully, hopefully we'll see him back on court. I don't know. Do you have any idea on the timeline? What would you guess? Nine months? Uh, he said major ligament tear. I think that that can range from – it could be as short as two months, depending on if he needs surgery or not. It could also be six, seven months if he needs, like, major reconstruction of the ankle. I think it's tough with these injuries where you don't know if you need surgery or not sometimes. So, we'll see. Yeah. But should we talk about Coco and Iga now? that final and kind of what yeah that sure means, what that means for both of them I don't think there was too much really to analyze on the match Iga was basically a blowout Iga looked like she was moving the ball around the court really well per usual um she was going down the line a lot and looked very comfortable doing so but I don't know if you want to give your thoughts briefly on the match then we can kind of just talk about more so just what it means for for both the players and honestly, more so for Coco Goff, because Ego, we've just been talking about her fucking win. <laughs> another, for, another formality, another non-event this finals. Coco walked out. You could tell the moment was getting to her. She was absorbing that she is in the Grand Slam final at the French Open. Um, yeah, I mean, when, you know, Michelle Obama tweets you and you realize how close you are to that, you know, that final hurdle. I also think with Coco, she wasn't, necessarily playing her best tennis coming into the event which is rare usually when people are in a grand slam final they've come through some 
uh, tough matches, but I can't remember her even playing her best tennis this tournament. I know in the um, semifinals against Trevisan, again, they both just looked very nervous. Coco uh, was not able to fight her game. So from a match perspective, I think Coco was, I don't want to say she was beaten when she walked on the court, but yeah, it just looked like she was fighting herself. And when you have to fight yourself and Iga's Fiontek, that's a bit of a recipe for disaster. She did play a little better in the second set. Um, I think she might have even gone up 2-0 or something like that. But from a tennis perspective, it was, yeah, it was very similar to the Casper Rafa match where not only was it a dominant performance, but the losing player didn't look like they were really 100% present in the moment there, uh, ready to, to play tennis. So uh, a disappointing uh, moment for her. But like I said, I the tears after the match and sort of crying during that post-match speech, yeah, you don't want to see someone cry, but it was good to see how much she cared about it. And uh, she's so young, 18 years old. I, I think that maybe if she can get her nerves under control, then easily is going to win multiple Grand Slams. So with, with Iga, I think we're now getting into the, ca- the sort of category of the same names as like Serena, Steffi, Martina, Chris Everett, with this kind of a streak and the fact that basically no one can, no one's going to have a chance against her if she's playing her best game. So I don't, yeah, that's all. I mean, we, we not talk about Iga, but we can maybe talk a little bit about her, what this means. Yeah, it's, it's tough to keep analyzing her because she just keeps winning and dominating everyone. So it's a little tough to talk too deeply about it. But what she was saying in her post-match press conference that it meant really a lot to her, obviously the Grand Slam title and winning Roland Garros, but she said it meant a lot to her that she had passed Serena's win streak. And she's really happy that she's now done something that no one else has done. So mm-hmm. I think that was... Mm-hmm. Um, kind of an interesting comment from her and it's great to see that she's really striving to be not only the best in the world right now but she seems to have that really goal of being the best in history is what I derive from that comment so that's great to see and you that means that she's not going to be complacent she'll never be happy she'll never be satisfied really and that's what you like to see from kind of the world's top player and she really Uh, embodies everything that it is. I said this on the last podcast, but she really embodies what it means to be a champion and be the world number one and totally deserves this Roland Garros and deserves to continue this. And let's not underestimate the performance with a streak like that that's going on with everyone talking about it and the ability to just basically have tunnel vision the entire tournament and run through the draw. We can't underestimate that despite how easy it looked, you know? Yeah, no, she made it look very easy which it's just, it's not. Especially, honestly, I think the final may, I don't know. Do you think it was harder for her to play the final or kind of the first round? I think the first rounds, probably. Yeah, first rounds are always so hard. So, yeah, it's like... Because she's she's playing the same level of player, kind of. Right. So, the fact that she was able to get through those was, you know, impressive. And then you're like, you know, from there on, we'll see what happens. But my take on Coco is I think it was a great tournament for her. I think... Maybe she was kind of crying there at the end because she didn't put her best foot forward, which is, you know, great yeah. to see. Um, she knows that there's more more she could have done. And I think we'll undoubtedly see her do more in the future. She is only 18 years old. So I don't think it's an issue that she lost this final. She's going to be in many more finals in the future. No. She's going to get older, more mature. She's going to have more experience. And she's certainly going to win a Grand Slam when and where. Um I would say maybe the next two years, two, three years, but I think she's on pace to do that when definitely more than one. So I think it was a really good step for her, this tournament, with getting all the way to the finals. Yeah, it's tough with the women's game because it's like you think that, but then you also have like all these other players who are in the top 20 who can win a major, right? So it could go two, three years without her even making a final as well. It's possible, right? Yeah, like we t- we're talking about actually – on our French open, open preview, when we were talking about who could win this tournament, we went down the list, you know, we're like, there's like, you know, yeah, being 20 girls, even some girl that was maybe the 25th most likely to win that were like, oh, maybe she could win. So yeah, the women's game is kind of all over the place, except for Iga. Uh, you see that also within this tournament with some of the higher seeds like Sakari, Bedosa, Annette, Contavite going out. So 
yeah, it's up and down. And I think that's just the way the women's game is. But um, I think she'll be able to hopefully find her way back to a final. The only thing, uh, other thing I'll say about Iga and like kind of touching on your point about the grand slam mentality, right, of this not being satisfied. And she didn't even look, of course she was satisfied. But yeah, she looks like she wants to prove even more. And I think probably when you're winning that much, you're like, yeah, I want to just challenge myself even more. Um, but going back to Ego, when she was about 45, 50 in the world, um, and she made that choice to start working with a sports psychologist, that's just kind of a radical choice. And it's not something that someone who's just uh, there to be a participant is doing. It's someone who's going after higher things. I think she's going to continue to have that mindset. You know? But yeah, go ahead. Yeah, no, I think when you were talking about kind of just making her more hungry, every win is making her more hungry. It actually made me think about your weight loss. <laughs> because you, it's true. I agree. Because you kind of got over that hump. Right. Or, you know, kind of you weren't seeing progress. Then you started seeing progress. Yes. And then all of a sudden you're just losing a ton of weight, getting in ridiculous shape. And now it's just become kind of a lifestyle for you um, of, you know, eating extremely healthy, working yep. out every day. Um, and things like that. And I, that's, that's what came to my mind when we were talking about when you're, you, you start winning, you keep winning, you're going to want to be, you're going to be motiv- motivated to keep it going because you love that feeling. Yep. And, and it's all about consistency and doing the same thing over and over again. Greatness is a habit, which Iga is kind of learning right now, right? So look, what does it mean to be extraordinary? People talk about being extraordinary. It means being extraordinary, doing the things that you have to do every single day and being consistent in that mindset and, and with, those, uh, with those activities, which, which leads to greatness. It's not doing one thing amazing one day. It's being extraordinary and doing the things that you need to do on a consistent basis. I, lo- I love that quote. I was actually thinking about that quote yesterday. So it's really ironic that you brought yeah. that up. So That is crazy, actually. Yeah, that is. Um, but yeah, like, I think, I think do you, so I'll, one more question for you about Iga. Do you, do you think that five years down the line, we're talking about Iga in terms of the GOAT, like the legitimate, not GOAT conversation, but you know what I mean, like an all-time great? Because obviously she's not there yet. I mean, she's only won two Grand Slams. Uh, I'm going to say yes, I think so. Okay, yeah. What do you think? Yeah, I'm going to say yes, 100%. I totally think that's going to happen, yes. Okay, well, we'll she's, see. She has double, she has double the points of the number two ranking right now and like triple the points of the third. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah. Annette is a second ranked player after she lost first round here at the French Open. <laughs> right. And she fired her coach. Yeah. That needs Should to be. Should we do honorable mentions? French Open honorable mentions? Or just in, I have in general honorable mentions, but. Okay. Yeah. Why don't we just wrap it up with the honorable mentions? You can uh, yep. you just ca- kind of tell us. Tell us your thoughts on the honorable mentions. Um, yeah, one sec. So I have to look mine up. You want to go first, or? Um, you you can go. Let's try to get this done in this one. So I'm gonna go to the French Open doubles champion, Marcelo Arevalo from El Salvador, the first Grand Slam winner in the country's history of El Salvador. Marcelo played a little bit on the singles uh, tour when he was younger in his 20s, started specializing in doubles uh, towards his mid to late mid to late 20s. Mostly, believe it or not, on the challengers and futures tour. So he was playing it as a solely doubles pro, basically on the challengers and the futures tour up until 2019. 2020. So this is when he's basically 28, 29 years old and thought about quitting multiple times, but never gave up on the dream of doing something like winning a Grand Slam title or winning, you know, a gold medal. And he was able to do that. So shout out to Marcelo Aravalo. Shout out to El Salvador. Um, the best he'd done in a Grand Slam before this is the quarterfinals. Only started making Grand Slams in 2019. So uh, just a testament to Sticking to your dream, continuing to work, and finding Grand Slam glory. 
Nice. I didn't know any of that, to be honest. Um, but yeah, my, my honorable mention is Daria Castakina making to the semifinals. Um, mm. Something probably a lot of people weren't expecting. But like we said, the women's game is kind of up and down. But also she's been proving herself at other tournaments. So um, I'm really happy that she was able to kind of get through and make a semifinal, which is uh, really big. And hopefully she... <laughs> You're going with her over Martina Trevisan, who's literally no one knows who she is. Yeah, I'm just going. I'm just going with her because she's yeah been proving it at other yeah. tournaments and like this is a really a big one now, you know. Yeah. Yes. So that's why. That's why I'm going with her over Trevisan. Um. Yeah, I understand Trevisan. Like that's fucking amazing, but that's the only rational I have for rationale I have for choosing Castagina. But she's my honorable mention for the French Open, and hopefully she can continue that success. I have one more uh, honorable mention, if that's okay. Okay, my, my second honorable mention is Murphy Cassone. He's an unranked player from the University of Arizona State Sun Devils. Unranked, was afforded a wild card into the Little Rock Challenger and was actually able to not only come through qualifying, but make the quarterfinals in his, for his first HP points. And also in the quarters, had a close match with uh, Alex Kovacevic, I believe. Um, so for an unranked player to come into a challenger event, qualify and make the quarterfinals is just amazing. Yeah, totally amazing. And I'm going to throw one last honorable mention in there. And that is, um, Jordan Thompson. Jay Tomo. <laughs> Jay Tomo, the man, the myth, the legend. Just You're won so a challenger that was taking place in London, defeated Dennis Kudla. Dennis Kudla had some, honestly, honorable mention to Dennis Kudla. <laughs> he had amazing wins in that challenger. Yeah. He's nasty on the grass. So He's nasty on the grass. He's nasty on the grass. He's won Newport, I think, before. Honorable mention to both of them. Jay Tomo, congrats. Dennis Kudla, congrats on a very solid tournament with a lot of good wins. And um, hopefully we can see those two playing in the finals of Wimbledon. Vid, should we go to the Newport uh, grass court event? Yeah. How awesome would that be? We're going. We're going. Tennis Hall of Fame. Grass court. We can pretend it's Wimbledon. We can be like, yes, we're watching grass court tennis. The Instagram people are not going to understand. They're going to think it's Wimbledon. Well, we're all whites. We'll go dressed really nicely. And we'll be at the Tennis Hall of Fame. We can say Wimbledon on the location. What do you think about that? It sounds fucking amazing. Let's do it. (laughs) Okay. I think that's it. (laughs) I think that wraps it up for today. But talk soon. Yeah. The viewers, all the listeners, and...